Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your composer host here in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and this show is my way of sharing advice on composing and songwriting from all sorts of creative people. You can stream or download all the episodes at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. Well, it's snowing here in Minnesota on April 16th, but my guest composer today is out in sunny L.A., Adrian Elbert. Adrienne started her music career as a vocalist, and she's worked with many talented composers over the years, including Leonard Bernstein, Philip Glass, and Igor Stravinsky. Adrienne shares some great stories and talks about what inspired her to start composing later in her career. Before we get into our talk, I just want to remind you composers out there that Composing Quest number 8 is almost finished. The challenge is to write piano music for four hands in honor of Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Make sure to send your pieces to me, charlie at composerquest.com, on or before April 23rd. We'll be premiering the best ones here in Minnesota at the Underground Music Cafe on May 4th at 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. As you've been hearing in the last few episodes, several generous listeners have stepped forward to become patrons of this podcast And I just want to say a special thanks to my patrons who have opted to not get an official shout-out here on the podcast. You know who you are. Thanks again. I really appreciate your help. If anyone else listening out there is interested in becoming an official patron of Composer Quest, please visit patreon.com slash charlie. Thanks for considering it. Now, let's get on to my talk with Adrian Elbert. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for being up for this. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, for people who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I can tell you a lot about myself, but that would take more (laughs) time than we have. Um, I am a composer who actually started composing relatively late in my career. I love to sing, so I got started in a career as a singer, first performing very contemporary music of the time, Luigi Nono and Stockhausen and odd things like that, which when I was in college, I really loved because the more challenging a work was to sight read and to sing correctly, the more exciting it was for me. I then, by coincidence, became a jingle singer. (laughs) So how do you go from soloing with Igor Stravinsky and Leonard Bernstein and then become a jingle singer? I don't know. It just happened. And I had a wonderful career for a number of years in New York, singing commercials both for television and radio. And I decided at a certain point, because I had grown up in Los Angeles, that I was ready to come back to L.A. And at that point in my life, I decided what I really wanted to do was to study composition. My friends thought I was crazy in midlife, starting a new career, but I knew that it was really important for me to write my own music for other people to perform. (laughs) Cool. You've gotten to a point, it seems, where you are just composing your own music 
for your living. Well, I wouldn't say it's for my living, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say it's for my heart, my passion. In a way, it's become an obsession, something that I probably would rather do than almost anything else. So, But in terms of having a profession in it, I probably would have done better had I gone into film scoring or today, you know, going into something like video games. But in my case, I'm fortunate in the sense that because I had other careers before and am a member of unions, I now have a pensions through my unions of SAG and AFTRA, and that in part allows me to do what I want to do. Hmm. So SAG also supports composers and performers, or...? Well, SAG supports performers in that uh, any job that you do as a SAG member, whether it is singing a jingle for television or whether it's doing on-camera work or if you're an actor, you get paid for that job. And then if you make a certain amount each year and you are a member for a number of years, you then are eligible to get a pension. And uh, also, of course, medical insurance. I mean, there are so many wonderful things that you do get if you are a person who has had a career that has been you know, involved with the union hmm. and union jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you consider your best piece of music and why? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that question. Yeah. It's such a hard question to answer. I have several favorites. Uh, I have a piece that I originally wrote for flute, viola, and harp early on that's called Doppler Effect. And it's based, I was on a visit to Italy, and uh, we were sitting in a cafe in Rome, and we heard the traffic going by. And if you've ever been to Rome, you know that there are probably an accident every five minutes on a street corner. And then I would hear the police cars or the fire engines come by, and, and it was the Doppler effect. You know, how it goes down a half step, and I thought, oh, that might be an interesting concept for a piece. It has gone on to become probably my most popular work because I must have close to two dozen transcriptions of that piece. Is there a certain instrument combo that you think works the best for that one? Well, it's been done for flute, horn, and piano, which I found really fascinating. I wasn't sure it was going to work, but it did. It's been performed for trumpet, bassoon, and piano. And unfortunately, they didn't have, um, the recording didn't turn out. So if any of your listeners want to play Doppler effect for <laughs> trumpet, bassoon, and piano, let me know. <laughs> yeah.
because I was a singer, I think of musical lines as singing lines. And if one can sing it, then anyone can play it. My music is probably more tonal than you know, other people who have had training in universities and so forth. Even though I loved performing a really kind of gnarly music, <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy composing it. Was there a time when you did try to do gnarly pieces, as you called them? <laughs> Weird or experimental pieces? Yes, I have. In fact, there, there is, I am in the middle of doing a commission that is due yesterday for, <laughs> for um, Chamber Music Palisades, which is a wonderful ensemble here in Los Angeles. And the ensemble that I'm writing for is flute, bass clarinet, viola, and piano. And I am basing it on a trip that I recently took to Cuba because I find that travel really opens up one to new experiences, new sounds, new concepts for creativity. And so we were talking about gnarly. I was composing and doing a charming piece and thinking of the 50s before Castro came into power. And because of the revolution, times shifted and changed. And so I started you know, just banging on the piano. And I started fooling around with the uh, sostenuto pedal, thinking, oh, this would be a really interesting way to express the revolution. Because in the revolution, in my mind, there is no color, there is certainly no melody, and certainly no harmony, no pun intended. (laughs) So the sostenuto pedal, how does that work? For people who don't no, know piano. The sostenuto pedal is the pedal in the middle of the sustain pedal on the right and the soft pedal on the left. And the sostenuto pedal, if you, if you place your hands on the keyboard and you play a chord or whatever, you press on the middle sostenuto pedal and then you can play anything you want. And when you lift off of the sustain pedal, that original sound is still there. That original chord is still floating in there somewhere. Hmm. And I find it very fascinating. Yeah. Are there other pieces of yours that are inspired by different places in the world? Yes. I did have a wonderful experience about five years ago. No, gosh, now it's more like 10 years ago. A community in Alaska wrote a grant and they were awarded the grant, and they awarded me to be the composer of this grant. And so I went to Alaska, which I'd always wanted to go to, and I went to an American Indian village and ended up wearing cleats to walk about from house to house in this extraordinary little village. And this was for the Russian Orthodox Christmas, which is, I believe, January 6th. So you can imagine it was pretty cold and pretty dark. <laughs> anyway, this piece, one movement I called animology because, you know, Alaska is filled with these wonderful creatures of all kinds. And I had the musicians coming out of the woods pretending to be animals. 
And it starts with the double reeds, the oboe and the bassoon, tweeting on their reeds, just ee, ee, you know. <laughs> And at first they thought I was really nuts because why would you do that? But then the musicians really got into it. It's interesting in the score, too, you have the instructions. You just give the wind players the motives and then say, use these however you feel like it until you get seated. How has that worked out in other performances of the piece? The one performance where we had a, a bit of difficulty was with Carnegie Hall because they would not allow musicians to walk down the aisles. So we decided that they would come out from the backstage and then I said, just pretend that you are animal creatures and make your way along the walls. <laughs> and they just kind of, you know, went up along the walls and we're tweeting and, and, you know, and the audience just went crazy. They loved it. Huh. I think the next step is getting the musicians on some ropes and dangling <laughs> them down from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, I love that. that. I love just, that idea. Yeah, feel free to yeah. use that. <laughs> Thank you. I'll say with my, my gratitude to Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Your piece, Poetry for Harp and Baritone Saxophone. I really like Yes, thank you. That is an instrumentation that I never would have thought of. Wayne Leachford, who was the commissioner, said, I want you to write a piece for baritone sax and harp. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> As it worked out, it, it just, I think it's a, a fascinating combination. That piece you said was based on an Edgar Allan Poe poem? It was based on uh, the poem Annabelle Lee. And I originally wrote it as a, a song. So you were thinking in terms of the words matching up with the melodies that the baritone sax plays? Yes. Pretty much exactly. How someone would sing it? Yes. If you listen to the recording and you read the poem side by side, you will see that, you know, in my mind, of course, you know, every composer I do believe, if you take a piece of poetry, has a different rhythm in mind. Mm -hmm. Kind of a side note, but I just saw a video about Herbie Hancock explaining oh, yeah. Watermelon Man. 
the song. Oh, yes. And his main melody came from thinking about people yelling, hey, watermelon man. So, hey, uh-huh. watermelon man, or whatever it is. Right. But Well, I also, as an aside, a couple of years ago, I had a, a, a little party. We were going to watch the Grammys, and a friend of mine called and said, would it be all right with you if I invited Herbie Hancock and his wife to come? I said, are you kidding? Wow. (laughs) I would be so honored. And so my friend had a CD of mine that included another one of my favorite works, which is called Courage. It's a short orchestral piece. And my friend was driving Herbie and his wife to my apartment, and he put this CD on of mine he didn't say anything and Herbie's talking and talking and talking and then all of a sudden he says wait stop I want to hear that and when he came to my door he embraced me and said that piece courage is so beautiful oh what a great honor that was it was just a great honor wow yeah Speaking of famous people also, you've worked with quite a few. Yes. The composers you've worked with over the years, what has stuck with you from working with them? And does it come out in your own composing? I did work with Igor Stravinsky on a number of his works for voice and ensembles. And one of the pieces I worked on with him was his four Russian songs for flute, guitar, harp, and mezzo-soprano. And I had to sing them in Russian, which is, of course, not my native language. (laughs) And I went to his house. This was one of the great experiences of my life. And I went to his house, and this short little man, who was, of course, a giant in the music world, comes to the door good afternoon, you know, nice to meet you. And we go into his dining room and he wants to hear me not sing, but recite the Russian. And uh, so he, very good, oh, very good. He was so gentle and so kind with me. I'll never forget it. And I, of course, I will never forget working with him. He was not a great conductor, I must say, but he was, you know, and continues to be perhaps the greatest composer of the 20th century. So, um, oh, and I also was his alto on the Mass, which is a work that he wrote, I believe, in 1944, and he wrote it originally for boys' voices, and he chose my alto sound because I had a very straight sound. I was not a, a trained singer in the sense that, you know, I didn't sound like an opera singer, I just sounded like a folk singer. And really, when you listen to Stravinsky's work, as I have done over the years, one becomes aware of his love for the purity of sound. Not necessarily for, you know, the grandeur of sound, but for the purity of each individual instrument and voice. And I learned a great deal from him. 
I think there's one piece in which when I go back and I listen to it, I think it was actually also a, a woodwind quintet called Sam's Dance that was based on my father's surgery. And, and I had this dream of my dad walking like a, a Marc Chagall, walking around the clouds with both legs and a, a crutch. So it's in three-quarter time, three, three feet. But there's a part of it, as I listen to it again, that reminds me of you know, elements of Stravinsky. And the other person, of course, that I worked with and, and absolutely adored, and probably his music seeps in much more so than the Stravinsky, was Leonard Bernstein. He was just absolutely a thrill to work with, dynamic. I, I, I can't say enough about Lenny Bernstein. He was, he was, and I, I can call him Lenny because we were, we were good friends. Cool. How do you think about form in your pieces that's an interesting question because as a composer who never formally studied composition, I think of beginnings, middles, and ends, of course, uh, that being the ABA form, and those happening to be my initials, yeah. <laughs> Adrian Beth Albert. I don't think my parents decided to call me that because of Turnery form. They just... <laughs> so... Anyway, I do think of it in that context. I also think of it as, you know, if you use the alphabet A, B, C, B, A, D, different elements sneak in there. With certain pieces, I think in terms of movements and generally speaking, it's sort of the traditionally classic fast, slow, or medium, and medium fast. It just kind of works out that way, although I don't, do it with intention. I know certain people who do visuals where they will make boxes or lines or create a painting of some kind and then work to that. I don't. I, my visuals are really in my head. I do, of course, read poems, and that, for me, is much easier to write a piece. And I don't know why I don't do more songs, because, you know, having been a singer... Um, I certainly do that um, fairly easily. And if a poem speaks to me, it has, a, a, you know, it has a, a meter, it has a tempo, and it's quite easy. Uh, I find it much more difficult to write a piece of music and then have it set to, to lyrics. So do you compose at the piano? I sometimes compose at the piano. I often compose at my Kurzweil keyboard. I sometimes compose through Digital Performer, and I finalize everything, excuse the pun, through Finale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for me, that takes the longest of anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get faster. Yeah, I do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Seems like every five minutes I'm Googling, how do I do this? Finale's great because you can do everything, but it's just... But you have to know but, how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to ask if you have tips for other composers on writing grants. 
Oh, <laughs> I think grant writing has to be one of the hardest things to do. It's so much easier to compose a piece than it is to write a grant for that piece that I want to compose. <laughs> but I, I do suggest to people who are getting started that they take a class and I don't know where they would find Oh, I know that American Composers Forum, I believe, has a class in grant writing. How do people end up commissioning you for things? Do they just find your music through other performances, do you think? Or do you ever seek out getting commissions from people? Or I don't know if that would work like that, but... Yes, in fact, it does. It works in all those ways. Um, when I was first starting out, I had a very dear friend who was a friend of an orchestra conductor, a small orchestra, community orchestra. And she introduced me, and we began talking about a piece. And ultimately, it was, you know, a modest commission, but I, I got to write a piece for orchestra. Do you have any last tips for composers? My tips for composers are befriend as many musicians as you possibly can. And um, use your own creativity to formulate what it is you want to say. Because you're inventing your own language as a, a new composer. Hopefully you're inventing your own language so that people say, Oh, that sounds just like, you know, it sounds just like Albert. Or it sounds just like Stravinsky, you know. Even if you think it's so crazy off the wall. Other people might find it really fascinating. Well, Adrian, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. I feel the same way, Charlie. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Adrian Elbert. For more of her music, visit adrianelbert.com. And Adrian is spelled A D R I E N N E. I also have links to all of her pieces featured in this episode at ComposerQuest.com slash Adrian. Feel free to get in touch with me, Charlie at ComposerQuest.com, or you can find ComposerQuest on Facebook or Twitter. I'll leave you now with part of a beautiful piano trio Adrian wrote for her mother when she passed away, called For My Mother.